Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Welcome to the fourth week of our series called Her Story, and also the fourth week of Advent. Uh, The fourth and final Sunday of Advent means that Christmas is right around the corner. It's been a long wait. And this year, I noticed decorations going up uh, around the neighborhood earlier than ever before. I noticed the same thing on social media. Many of my friends were uh, posting pictures of their Christmas trees at the beginning of November or declaring at the end of October that they're listening to Christmas music for the rest of the year. Uh, The truth is, our family did the same thing. Uh, I was one of the first to get lights up in the cul-de-sac and We began watching Christmas movies even before Thanksgiving. That means that we have watched a lot of Christmas movies, more this year than ever before. Uh, And we've made sure to watch some of the classics, Home Alone, Elf, uh, The Grinch. Uh, Our favorite is the animated version from a couple years ago with Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice of The Grinch. But we've also watched more modern Christmas movies. Can I just say, Netflix is really giving Hallmark a run for their money in terms of the sheer volume of Christmas movies that they are producing. So after a pretty good sample size, I've noticed a common theme among the majority of these Christmas movies. That theme is sentimentality. Now, sentimentality is defined as excessive tenderness or nostalgia. The the recipe for a great Christmas movie really isn't that complicated or difficult. Uh, First, you place the character uh, in a world where all seems to be going well. Then you rip the rug out from their comfortable life so that they then wake up to the fact that they have ignored the things that are most important. And then by doing so, they will recapture the value of family, learn to find love again, sometimes both of those things, before returning to their now perfect life with a brand new perspective. Now, I realize that I'm painting with pretty broad brushstrokes here, but I think you get my point. Christmas movies make us feel all this kind of tenderness. They make us feel nostalgic for simpler, less complicated days. And actually, I don't want you to misunderstand me or or get me wrong either. I'm not putting these movies down. Lessons on the value of family or the importance of prioritizing people over work or a job are necessary and valuable once-a-year lessons for a culture that bases value on production or honors busyness. And so watch and enjoy the many choices of Christmas movies that are offered. But don't think that these sentimental messages capture the fullness of Christmas, because they don't. In fact, the first Christmas wasn't so much sentimental as much as it was subversive. 
let me explain what I mean. Today, we get to learn and listen to Mary, uh, Mary's story, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, now, Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, but birth isn't possible without Mary. And I know that Protestants, uh, we're not very used to thinking much about Mary, but uh, just consider for a moment Uh, how important this young teenage woman is to the story of salvation. God becomes flesh in the womb of Mary. The Orthodox Church has a phrase to describe this great mystery of how God, who cannot be contained in all of the world or the universe, is found in Mary's womb. The Orthodox Church describes Mary's womb as more spacious than the heavens. It's a a phrase to try to capture this reality that the God who could not be contained in all the world finds a home, a beginning place in the womb of this teenage woman. The whole Advent and Christmas story is filled with such beautiful mystery. But who is this Mary? Well, Mary was a devoted teenager who loved God, followed the Torah, that is the law, uh, and did all the things that a devout and Jewish young woman would do. And she, along with others, was waiting for God to do what he had promised to do through the prophets. That is, to send a king in the line of David who would set right all that had gone wrong. And so she is waiting just with her friends, with her family, with all of the Jewish people for that very thing to happen, for God to do what he had promised through the prophets to do. So when the announcement comes, or what's known as the Annunciation comes, um, that she would be the one to carry the Messiah, it's an incredible story. And her response is actually incredible. You can read about it in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and following. Uh, But to summarize, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. Now, we actually don't hear much in the scriptures directly from Mary, despite her importance to this salvation story. But after that encounter, Mary utters what are her most famous words when she says, Here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow, what willingness to play a part in the salvation story that she herself had longed for and anticipated for so long. Mary then goes to visit Elizabeth, and together they celebrate the news that Mary is going to give birth to the one who would be called the Messiah. And then we hear the most that we'll ever hear from Mary. It's a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46 through 55. And this passage of Scripture is known as the Song of Mary, or the Magnificat. And I want to read it to you this morning. Luke chapter 1, 
beginning with verse 46, says this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, this passage is is known as the Magnificat because in it, Mary magnifies or gives honor and glory to the Lord. You can see this in the first few verses and how this song starts. Something that Mary might have actually sang this song. But this song begins with, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But after this section where she gives honor and glory to God, look what happens after that. With this song of praise, Mary announces the beginning of a divine kingdom that stands in stark contrast to any other nation past, present, or future. In this nation run by God, the Messiah, she proclaims these realities. And what's interesting here is that she communicates all of these truths in the present tense. Knowing that this is going to come to pass, she speaks about it as though it's already a reality. I think we could call that faith. She says these things in the present tense. God has shown the strength of his arm and he has scattered the proud. He has brought the powerful down from their thrones and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. And he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Church, let's understand Mary's song. These are not sentimental words. These are dangerous, revolutionary words. These are words aimed and pointed at those who are in power. Aimed and pointed at Herod, who got the message loud and clear, and if we read later on in the story, wants to do anything he can to harm Jesus because his power is threatened. Now, Mary's stunning song declares that God finds a home among the very people that the world tends to cast aside. The song of a dark-skinned, unwed teenage woman declares that God's kingdom will see what theologians have come to call the reversal of fortunes. The humble and lowly will be lifted up. The poor 
will be cared for. The hungry will have plenty. The people on the margins will be given dignity. It's a reversal of fortunes. Imagine if our Christmas movies told that kind of story. Imagine if there was a Christmas movie about a self-centered politician whose policies hurt the most vulnerable people, but then a forgotten uh, Latino aide interning for the winter announces that a new kind of leader is coming who will bring the powerful down from their thrones and will lift up the lowly. Imagine if there's a Christmas movie about a Wall Street executive who continues to exploit people, but hears news that a new executive is coming who will fill the hungry and send the rich away empty-handed. Imagine a movie that instead of being about a mostly privileged person losing sight of the value of family, what if it was about a refugee or a victim of gun violence, or victims of racism that heard the good news that God has shown strength of his hand and has scattered the proud. He has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. I wonder how many views those kinds of movies would get on Netflix. There is, though, one famous Christmas story that I think really captures my imagination. One story that has stood the test of time is A Christmas Carol. The powerful story of Ebenezer Scrooge is mostly stripped of sentimentality and rather tells the daring story of a life transformed through the lifting up of the lowly and the bringing down of the powerful. But here's the real churn of the story and why I think this story written in the 1800s still captures our imaginations today. The lowly that are lifted up and then the powerful that are brought down, but what the powerful realize is that they are also fulfilled in this reversal of fortunes. The reversal of fortunes is not about God sticking it to the powerful. It's about the powerful coming to the realization that their pursuit of wealth and power were in fact empty pursuits all along. If any of us find ourselves pursuing wealth and power above all else, and refuse to align our lives with the will of God for the world, declared at the very first by Mary's song, then the reality is we will probably continue to be offended at how the good news of Jesus intersects with the life of the poor and the marginalized. And if we'll keep on pursuing wealth and power above all else and refuse to align our life with the will of God, we'll probably keep trying to over-spiritualize the, the message of Jesus so that we can be confident that our souls are saved while holding on to the same old systems of power and privilege. 
You see, Christmas is not about sentimentality. Christmas is about subverting our very way of life. That this God who had all the divine rights and privileges available gave them up in order to become human. The Apostle Paul will say, then Jesus even becomes obedient to death on a cross. Mary's story is a subversive, dangerous story that really upends all that we tend to think about at Christmas. Mary, the mother of Jesus, declares that God makes a home among the people and places that are cast aside by our world, declares that God is at home in the margins and among the forgotten. And so today, this morning, if you find yourself marginalized, God is with you. And as a church and as the people of God, we're doing our best to continually learn this lesson, do our best to make sure that you are not forgotten any longer. Or this morning, if you find yourself privileged with wealth, maybe even holding on to power, no matter how big or how small, the first thing we must do is tune our ear and listen carefully to the story of Christmas, that it might transform us. And perhaps that transformation looks something like this. Being willing to look and reflect on the impoverished areas of our own lives. The parts of our lives that are painful, weak, or insufficient. Because if we learn to sit in these spaces of our lives, we'll come to see how much we need the Savior. And we'll find that the grace of God is sufficient to transform us. At the risk of uh, pushing the Christmas carol too far, I would say that this is precisely what Mr. Scrooge is forced to do with the visits from the ghosts of Christmas. He is forced to sit with the parts of himself that are impoverished. And, he does, and once he does so, he is transformed. Not only for his own good, but for the good of others as well. Thanks be to God. And so my prayer on this fourth Sunday of Advent is that God would meet us in these impoverished places of our lives, that we would come to see the subversive message of the Christmas story as it is declared in Mary's song. Let's pray together. God of heaven, who had available to you all divine rights and privileges and yet saw fit to join us in this mess called life, to enter this world through the womb of a teenage girl. We pause at the wonder of it all. And we give thanks that Mary had the faith and the insight to see all that it would mean for our world. And so God, may we, as the people of God, 
seek to align our lives with the truths of your divine kingdom. How easy it is for us to get lost in, in following only the ways uh, of, our, of our world or our culture that tell us me first and get all you can. But Lord, may we be faithful to live out the truths of loving our neighbor, uh, caring for those who do not have their needs met in the same ways that we do. May we be a generous and hospitable people, we pray. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.